Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. There are several news stories out today related to the absence of Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin last week. Um, One is about, uh, there's a senator, Armed Services Committee now, is asking questions. Experts are saying the law was broken and we'll talk about that. I wanna talk about the timeline first because we had we were a little fuzzy about that yesterday and that may make a difference here in terms of what you think. Because I now think based on what's coming out today, I think he will resign. It sounds like the clock's ticking, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's gonna happen by the end of the week. I just, when you hear about the law, you hear about the Democratic Senate Armed Services Committee chair is asking questions. Now the White House Chief of Staff is ordering a review of all the cabinet policies and saying in the future, if you're gonna delegate your responsibilities, you need to let the White House know, I think he's stepping down. I don't know if you have the link in front of you. If not, I'll just go through this, but I wanna talk about the timeline for a second of how this all happened. Yeah, and it all started uh, more than a month ago when, and this was the the gap that we had in our understanding of this whole thing yesterday, was that initially he had gone in for an elective procedure. It was supposed to be an outpatient thing, in and out and done. And it was right up until complications started. And that happened at the beginning of the week last week. So Monday was a day off. It was New Year's Day. Tuesday, he was supposed to be back at work. He wasn't because he had to go into Walter Reed Uh, presumably on Monday uh, or before to deal with the pain and the complications that he was suffering from. And throughout the course of the week, the deputy defense secretary took over. She didn't know. She knew that she had to take over for him because he was out. She didn't know why he was out. Didn't know he was in the hospital. Didn't know any of that was going on for all she knew. It was a regular, you know, just a, a regular time off deal where she, normally fills in for the defense secretary when he's not there doing the job. Yeah, so it was December 22nd that he had that elective procedure at Walter Reed. He went home the next day. December 27th, President Biden left for St. Croix for a New Year's vacation. On January 1st, he participates in a national security phone call, then admitted to the ICU. And again, not because he needed critical care, but because he needed He was having pain, needed follow-up, and that was a secure spot for him to do it. I take issue with a little bit for the fact that the list I have says he was admitted on January 1st, and the next day, his top staffers were told about his hospitalization. So so his top staffers didn't even know the day he went in. 
Yeah, and that that doesn't even seem to jibe with the facts because we were told yesterday that the deputy defense secretary didn't know that he had been hospitalized until Thursday. Which, the way you read this, so it says January 2nd, Deputy Defense Secretary Kathleen Hicks takes some of Austin's duties. It wasn't until two days later, you're right, January 4th, that President Biden and Hicks were told he is in the hospital. So you're right, for two days, she's taking some of his duties, but doesn't really know why or, or where he is or what he's up to. Yeah. Congress is told on January 5th, and President Biden and Lloyd Austin spoke by phone on Saturday. I, you know, as much He's as we out. said, yeah, as much as we said yesterday that this sounded like they were, they were, they were going to slap him on the knuckles and say, don't do that again. Now, this is much bigger than that. I mean, when you're talking about two official inquiries, both coming from his side of the aisle, I'm mean, not to mm-hmm. drag politics into it, but, you know, these are Democrats and a Democratic administration who are saying, we want to know more about this because we think you might have done something very, very bad here. That's never going to bode well for your chances of staying on the job. Um, okay, so I want to go back to the law part here for a second because this is what got my attention to saying um, that it, he might have broken the law. Let me go down. So there were legal experts that told Reuters uh, he may have violated a U.S. law on reporting of vacancies. That requires the head of executive agencies to submit to the Comptroller General of the United States and to each of the House of Congresses any vacancies and the name of the person filling the vacancy. The Comptroller General would then relay that information to the President and the Office of Personnel Management. And they said the law is largely procedural and does not spell out any penalty for lapses. How would he not know that's the law? (laughs) Yeah, and ignorance of the law isn't a defense anyway. But if it doesn't outline any punishment, that sounds like they want they want it treated. They want it codified into law that you have to do this, but they want it treated as a personnel matter if you violate. But how do you treat a personnel matter, especially one that's a legal personnel matter? You fire the guy or you urge him to resign. So now that hasn't happened yet. It may not. But it seems like that's much closer to happening than it seemed like it was 24 hours ago. Um, one one quick thing on that, by the way, and I'm it was curious to find out that this is all at uh, what level you were saying it, it, at it was a cabinet level. Yeah, the um, the White House chief of staff sent a memo to cabinet secretaries said agencies would be required to notify the Office of Cabinet Affairs and the White House chief of staff in the event they need to delegate their duties. So it's him. It's the chief okay. of staff. So it's I mean, the fact is that it's cabinet level and above, but it becomes even more of an issue when you're talking about somebody, as you mentioned yesterday, who's in the line of presidential succession. Not everybody in the cabinet is, but he's number six in line. So that's a big deal. Yeah, I'm changing my opinion on how I think this is all going to come out. Yeah, and it's it, it fascinates me in part because It's so relatable to all of us in each, it seems like such a simple thing to most of us. But most of us are not, don't have jobs that are super, super critical like he does. But all of us would tell the boss if we were gonna be out, if we were gonna be out sick. Now he's the boss of his, you know, he and President Biden don't, he doesn't punch a time card every day, you know? But still you would tell the people around you immediately if you were gonna be out. How does he not have 
it's 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 arrogant to me. There's something egotistical about that. Yeah, no doubt. And especially when you're talking about something that could easily be cleared up that we, I mean, we talked about the procedure itself and maybe he, for whatever reason, he wanted to maintain his own privacy about the procedure that he was at. We still don't know what it was, by the way, Mm -mm. but whatever this elective procedure was that he had on the 22nd of December, if he wanted to keep that information private because he didn't think it was going to affect his job, that's fine. As long as it happens during off hours and all of that, then there's, there's no real problem with that. But when the complications happen, I mean, if you had gone into surgery to have an abscessed tooth removed and then something went wrong and your jaw swelled up and you know the, the infection came back why wouldn't you tell your boss that i've got to go to the hospital something's really going wrong with me right now i'll let you know when i get out yeah i i don't know how much he's required or or would tell president biden to me that's like if you're going to tell anybody whatever yeah. it is you tell the president you know you why wouldn't you be be completely forthcoming regardless of what it is i come back to the magnitude of this of what could have happened again i use the example i said yesterday what if dick cheney on 9 11 he was at the white house when um president bush was in florida what if dick cheney that day had done this oh, and it was 9 11 and you needed him you know, yeah, I mean, if you if you want to draw a parallel to what's going on right now, we already know that there's been a problem with the Houthis who are backed by Iran and yeah. the fact that they've been rattling sabers throughout the Arabian Gulf and that region. So, OK, that's that's an issue. Let's say just for the sake of argument, Iran decides we're going to get directly involved in this and shoots a missile into Tel Aviv. Uh, it would be Jerusalem, uh, not Tel Aviv, but uh, either one, really. And they decide to start a shooting war with with Israel. Okay, now we need the defense secretary up and running. Not and, the deputy. And, and, right. You need the guy who is in that top job to be able to to craft with the president whatever the response to that's going to be. And the president doesn't know that he's not available? And the thing is, I think he was available. No, but just nobody knew where he was. I mean, he was yeah. on a national security call that morning that he went in. So he was, I mean, because she was covering some of his duties, not all of them, Mm -hmm. but you want him to be reachable immediately. Like, I assume he carries a special phone, (laughs) some some kind of special way that you get him. You kind of hope so, don't you? You know, yeah. Some get the defense secretary right, right now kind of thing. You want him to be reachable immediately, and you don't want there to be delay in that. And how does he as defense secretary, who spent so much time in the military, not know that? Right. And and look, as we were saying yesterday, sometimes things happen and they're completely out of your control. Guy has a heart attack, you know, guy has a, a, an appendix burst or something like that. There are going to be those times, but that's why that notification is critical, because then the president knows who is doing every facet of that job while he's not available. And if something does go squirrely, he knows which phone call to make. And I mean, the chief of staff would know and the president would know and everybody else who had to be in on that would know where they needed to go to get those decisions made and to get those plans in place. If you have thoughts here, 913-586-7798. Um, again, I, I think he's he's going to see the writing on the wall here. And it, it's a du- what a dumb thing to lose your job over as defense secretary. What a stupid move that that was. But nonetheless, here we are. All right, we'll take a break here. A couple of real estate stories to get to coming up. The price that we are willing to pay for very itty bitty little uh, small spaces. Get to that coming up here in KMBZ.
Phone number here, 913-586-7798. All right, a few real estate stories to get to, and I want to talk about this one um, out of Scotland first. I think the story's done in jest a little bit, but I do want to talk about the stuff that you put in your photos when you're selling a house that you know are going to get people's attention and get them to look at the house more. I laughed at this because frequently men in dating profiles, because they think women like this, will put dogs and babies in their pictures. And then uh-huh. they will say, not my dog or not my baby. So I, I think you find it appealing if I'm good with babies or dogs, but you don't actually want me to have them. So I'm going to tell you they're not mine. <laughs> and I just wonder, does the same thing work with real estate? If you see a dog in pictures, does it just make it more appealing? I think this one absolutely does. It's a yellow lab, and it's it's just a cute dog. I mean, it looks so friendly, and I mean, there's a couple of these pictures that it almost looks like the dog was photoshopped into the picture. Like, he wasn't even there when they took the picture, but they thought, well, he's in all the other pictures. Let's, let's go ahead and put the dog in this one, too. But as you said, I mean, what it will do is it'll get you noticed. And and Which maybe right, and and maybe the Daily Mail is going to do a story on it, and maybe half a world away, a couple of people are going to talk about it on the radio. Who knows what kind of notice you're going to get from this? But yeah, it'll get much more, many more eyes on your ad than you would have had otherwise. Here's what I think is funny about this: is that the house is kind of not spectacular. No, it's it's kind of needs to be very very much updated. It's very grandma. And- Yes, the furniture in it's very old. It's furnished. It's got all the stuff in it. And so it's got the 70s bright aqua green carpeting with red furniture and wine colored curtains. And then in every picture, the dog is there. I don't know if it makes you more likely to want to see the house. It doesn't make me want to see the house anymore, <laughs> but it's cute. Yeah, there's there's even one. Now, go if you can find it. I uh-huh. think it's the second picture down. The cat. The one, the one where the cat's on the bed. So you, not only do you have the dog in the foreground, but you have a little kitten that's curled up right in the middle of the bed. Okay, look at that dog's head and tell me that dog was really there when they took that picture. It's there. You can tell on the side it was um, photoshopped in. It was, yeah, it was and not well. So <laughs> not right. well. I mean, my own Photoshop skills are very lacking, but I don't know. I think I probably could have done a better job than that. It almost would have been funny if they had done that. If the dog, like borrow somebody's dog yeah. and Photoshop it in. Like, <laughs> this is what your dog could look like in each of these rooms. And then you, it would almost be funnier if it wasn't actually that dog that was in the house. Yes. So... I I guess I wish them luck with it. Now, what's even funnier, sometimes you'll find this where we had one a couple of years ago where in the last couple of pictures, there was somebody like hiding in a, you know, in a closet behind the closet door or hiding around a corner that was dressed up as Mike Myers from the Halloween movies. (laughs) And, And that's that's one that was obviously done to get notice. But this one, yeah, maybe they were just trying to make the the place look a little more homey and a little cuter. Yeah, is there something that you do in your pictures if you're if you're listing a house that you that you, especially if you're a real estate agent, but is there something cute like that that you can you can put in pictures that you know is going to get you a little more attention and make you stand out? Yeah, like the equivalent of lighting a vanilla candle when you're having an open house. <laughs> right. Yeah, is there is there artwork that you've been told? Is there a certain color scheme? Is there something that you should put in there or not that helps? Well, you know 
I, I don't know if you remember this. This goes back a ways. This is when we first started doing the show together. There was a story about exactly that, that they had put up a listing for a house. With Indiana, two, wasn't it? It was. It, and they had two different sets of decor. One of them was very Afrocentric, like African yeah, totems and things like that. And it was the exact <laughs> same house. And they, they weren't getting the amount of money. They weren't getting any offers on it. So they took all of that stuff out and replaced it with very middle America kind of of decor. And, you know, the, the, who was the guy that did the paintings, the painting with light guy? You know, uh, um, you know like, Thomas yeah. Kincaid. Kincaid, thank you. Yes. Yes. Paintings like that. And they replaced all of that stuff with that. And they started getting offers coming in. So, yeah, I think that stuff absolutely does make a difference. So then we've got the story uh, also out of the Daily Mail, and this was what we are willing to pay for very itty bitty little spaces. And I think it's funny because um, I was just poking around on rentals. I'm always just kind of looking around to see what's out there. And we have now, there are container homes. It's a rental building. And here, in fact, I'm gonna go check it out later this week because I'm curious. And I think it's like 375 square feet going for 950 a month. Okay. And it's pretty well laid out. I sent you pictures of it. It's pretty well laid out. This is 95 square feet that is being sold. I wish I knew a little bit more about the geography, because if you know England and this means mm -hmm. anything to you, the relatively central property, they say, is located on Old Brompton Road in Earl's Court between Chelsea and Kensington. None of that means anything to me. me but either. like I said, yeah. if you know the geography, I'm sure that that's probably a desirable place to be. But this one tiny little apartment, and they're not renting it out, at least not yet. They're selling it. And it has a loft bed that's only a bed. So as you go up the loft, it's above the bathroom and kitchenette is where you would sleep. And then the rest of it, that 93 square. Now, I'm, I'm in a room right now that's 10 by 10. It's probably right, at, right about 95 square feet. And everything yeah. in the entire place would have to be in this room. And they're talking about selling it for a quarter of a million pounds that's what that comes out to if you do the math on it is four thousand dollars a square foot okay to give you an idea houses around here go from anywhere from 150 like if i see a house for um 250 dollars a square foot that's a lot that's a lot and this is yeah. four grand per square foot. It's unbelievable. And people are freaking out because they, they're they worried about what's going to happen to the rental market around it. What they mm -hmm. figure is they, they want an investor to come in and buy this place and then rent it out at, at some confiscatory rate so that it will cause all of the other rents in that area to go up to follow it. The trick with that, though, is you've got to find a renter who's going to go into that and pay you that money. Yeah, I mean, I... Um... Yeah, I don't know London either to know. I looked at this and, and tried to think, is this livable? Is is this doable to live in? And we've done the stories out of New York where people get pretty crafty and pretty creative. Yeah. I mean, it's like a big dorm room, essentially, um, where the bed is up in the loft space and below the loft is the bathroom and what you would see in like a hotel kitchenette. And then I don't think there's a couch, although I can't see it from that direction, but there's a little nook for a desk and that's got a dresser in it and there's a TV and that's about it. Yeah, it really, it's, it's so tight. It's, it's living in one small bedroom. Yeah. Now maybe as your second, like if you, if you lived in the country in England and worked in the city, 
maybe instead of renting or getting a hotel room every night, maybe this is what you do instead. Wow. But yeah, this is that, tiny. That, it's one of those things. It's almost like we talk about hotel rooms when you're on vacation. It doesn't matter how small the hotel room is. You're only going to be in there to go to bed. Yeah. In this case, <laughs> you're going to be in there uh, more than going to bed. So yeah. I don't know. Interesting. We'll see if that ends up going for uh, exactly what it says it will. All right, coming up, uh, speaking of real estate, the president of the National Association of Realtors has resigned. We'll get to that coming up here on KMBZ. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, some breaking news. We were talking uh, just a little bit ago about Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's absence and his hospitalization for what had been an elective procedure, and then he went back in. Um, it has now been announced, and we're working to get the uh, Pentagon press conference on with us here momentarily, uh, that he has been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Yeah, and that, boy, again, this story keeps changing. And now okay, we, we, got have, it, John. We, got, we have the Sorry. press conference. Yeah, we can go to it. Every year, about one in 40 uh, men will die of prostate cancer. Uh, and, you know, these moments in your life are, are very private. And it seems like uh, Secretary Austin is, is a private man. And uh, I certainly understand why this is something that he perhaps would not want to deal with uh, with publicly. Uh, this diagnosis, depending on what stage it is, is managed in a variety of different ways, from just observation to you know, uh, hormonal manipulation to surgical uh, uh, excision of, of the prostate, which it sounds like he had um, uh, right before uh, Christmas. Uh, there are a variety of ways to remove uh, the prostate, uh, and in, in including you know robotic surgery. Complications can include you know bleeding uh, or uh, difficulty urinating. It's a little hard to understand perhaps exactly what complication uh, Secretary Austin uh, experienced, uh, but it's you know surgery. It's invasive, and complications can happen. Uh, doctor, I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective on, on the second part of that. In a statement, they reveal that his prognosis when it comes to the cancer uh, is excellent. Uh, however, days after the procedure, he, he had that urinary tract infection that you mentioned. Uh, there was further evaluation that revealed collection of abdominal fluid impairing the function of his small intestine. Fortunately, the statement says that his infection has cleared. Is that something common when it comes to that procedure? Is this something that could potentially be recurring? Well, it sounds like he probably had uh, an abscess, you know, that formed either in his pelvis or, or in his abdomen. And when you have an infection, uh, that can also result in something called uh, an ileus, which, makes, uh, uh, which slows down the passage 
of food for your intestines, uh, and which requires both bowel rest. The abscess would require perhaps drainage and antibiotics. All right. Um- Bit of a goof there. Uh, we are. Ex- I assume we are still expecting then a news conference from the Pentagon. That was a Q&A. I don't know who exactly the anchor was on CNN. Clearly, that's what they're talking about is they are asking a doctor, an expert for insight into prostate cancer. Yeah, Colin just told us that they, they just cut to a shot of an empty podium. So it looks like we're still okay. waiting for the people at the uh, at the Pentagon to go ahead and start their press conference. We'll learn a little bit more about it. But you heard one of the stats, one of the important stats right there at the beginning when uh, I forget exactly how he worded it, that uh, one in 40 men, uh, I think he said, will will either suffer or uh, succumb to prostate cancer. It's a, it's a large number. I've also heard over time from doctors that more people, more men will die with prostate cancer than will die from it. It tends to be a very slow-moving disease. Unlike testicular cancer, which which can be extremely aggressive, and I'm sure there are more, I'm sure there are different kinds of prostate cancer, some that might be more aggressive than others. But that he said in either case that it seems like they caught it early and went ahead and did this elective procedure. That's likely why it was elective. That it's right. something that could have waited, but he decided to go ahead and do it. Are we, the Pentagon's going. Okay, let's go right to them. I will read that full statement. Uh, This is a statement from Dr. John Maddox, Trauma Medical Director, and Dr. Gregory Chestnut, Center for Prostate Disease Research of the Mirtha Center Director at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland, Uh, beginning uh, the statement. As part of Secretary Austin's routinely recommended health screening, he has undergone regular prostate-specific antigen PSA surveillance. Changes in his laboratory evaluation in early December 2023 identified prostate cancer, which required treatment. On December 22, 2023, after consultation with his medical team, he was admitted to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center and underwent a minimally invasive surgical procedure called a prostatectomy to treat and cure prostate cancer. He was under general anesthesia during this procedure. Secretary Austin recovered uneventfully from his surgery and returned home the next morning. His prostate cancer was detected early and his prognosis is excellent. On January 1st, 2024, Secretary Austin was admitted to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center with complications from the December 22nd procedure, including nausea with severe abdominal hip and leg pain. Initial evaluation revealed a urinary tract infection. On January 2, the decision was made to transfer him to the ICU for close monitoring and a higher level of care. Further evaluation revealed abdominal fluid collections impairing the function of his small intestines. This resulted in the backup of his intestinal contents, which was treated by placing a tube through his nose to drain his stomach. The abdominal abdominal fluid collections were drained by non-surgical drain placement. He's progressed steadily throughout his stay. His infection is cleared. He continues to make progress and we anticipate a full recovery, although this can be a slow process. During the stay, Secretary Austin never lost consciousness and never underwent general anesthesia. Prostate cancer is the most common cause of cancer among American men, and it impacts one in every eight men and one in every six African-American men during their lifetime. Despite the frequency of prostate cancer, discussions about screening, treatment, and support are often deeply personal and private ones. 
Early screening is important for detection and treatment of prostate cancer, and people should talk to their doctors to see what screening is appropriate for them. End statement. Secretary Austin continues to recover well and remains in good spirits. He's in contact with his senior staff and has full access to required secure communications capabilities and continues to monitor DOD's day-to-day -day operations worldwide. At this time, I do not have any information to provide in terms of when he might be released from the hospital, but we'll be sure to keep you updated. And until then, we will continue to release daily status updates on his condition. We in the Department of Defense, of course, wish him a speedy recovery. The Department recognizes the understandable concerns expressed by the public, Congress, and the news media in terms of notification timelines and DOD transparency. And I want to underscore again that Secretary Austin has taken responsibility for the issues with transparency, and the Department is taking immediate steps to improve our notification procedures. Yesterday, the Secretary's Chief of Staff directed the DOD's direction, Director of Administration and Management to conduct a 30-day review of the Department's notification process for assumption of functions and duties of the Secretary of Defense. While the review is underway and effective immediately, the Chief of Staff also directed several actions to ensure increased situational awareness about any transfer of authorities from the Secretary of Defense to include ensuring that the DOD General Counsel the Chairman and Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Combatant Commanders, the Service Secretaries, the Service Chief of Staffs, the White House Situation Room, and Senior Staff of the Secretary and Deputy Secretary of Defense are all notified, and that the notification for transfer of authorities includes an explanation of the reason. We'll keep you updated regarding the results of the review and any additional significant changes to process and procedures as appropriate. And as I highlighted to many of you yesterday, nothing is more important to the Secretary of Defense and the Department of Defense than the trust and confidence of the American people and the public we serve and will continue to work every day, work hard every day to earn and deserve that trust. Separately, Deputy Secretary Kathleen Hicks is traveling today en route to U.S. Space Command headquarters at Peterson Space Force Base in Colorado. Tomorrow, she'll preside over the U.S. Space Command change of command at 12 p.m. Eastern Time between General James Dickinson and Lieutenant General Stephen Whiting. The event will be live streamed on DIVIDS and on Defense.gov. Also, Dr. Michael Chase, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for China, Taiwan, and Mongolia, began talks yesterday with People's Republic of China Major General Song Yanqiu, Deputy Director of the Central Military Commission Office for International Military Cooperation, at the Pentagon for the 17th U.S. PRC Defense Policy Coordination Talks. Those meetings conclude today and we'll issue a readout later this afternoon. Finally, as some of you may, may be aware, the United States of America Vietnam War Commemoration was launched in 2012, authorized by Congress under the Secretary of Defense in support of a national 50th anniversary commemoration to help thank the nation's Vietnam veterans and their families for their service and sacrifice okay. on behalf of our nation. Notably, thousands of organizations known as commemorative partners have All right, we're listening the there to the briefing. All right. Sounds like they're um, dropping out of it too, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, if you're just joining us, the announcement came out today, that was the Pentagon News Conference. Uh, clearly, <laughs> they were covering some other stuff there as well. Um, but the announcement was made today that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was diagnosed with prostate cancer in December. And we're getting, we got a ton more details there about the kinds of procedures that he had when and when he was not under anesthesia. The question, and John, I didn't hear this part, and I don't think they said it, was we don't know when President Biden found out that he has prostate cancer. 
No, but they did refer to him acknowledging that he had screwed up in terms of the lack of notification and that he had taken responsibility for that. That's something that when they're out there announcing that you're suffering from prostate cancer or that you were, that's an odd thing to throw in. Mm -hmm. But clearly they acknowledge that that's still very much a part of the story. Um, yeah. So just to recap a little bit um, of in case you missed some of that. So on December 22nd, he went through a minimally invasive surgical procedure to treat the cancer. He was under general anesthesia for that. It doesn't the issue doesn't seem to be December 22nd. The issue is because President Biden sounds like maybe knew about that. The only reason we bring that up is the reason he went back into the hospital on January 1st was related to why he was there on December 22nd. Yeah, and it's also it's interesting that uh, that they that they went with the option that they did, and I'm sure that was his option. But there are all kinds of things you can do, radioactive seeding and all of that, to treat prostate cancer outside of what he did, which was the elective procedure, the prostatectomy, where they just cut it out. That's one of the uh, again my my own limited medical knowledge on this because i'm not trained in that but just from paying attention to things like this in the past that prostate cancer tends to be as we said before fairly slow moving it also tends to be very much encapsulated so if that was the case that would explain why they went ahead with the prostatectomy just to say this isn't going to metastasize this hasn't gone anywhere else yet let's just take it out and then you won't have to worry about it it's gone so on January 1st, he was readmitted to the he, So he was in for a day. He had that procedure. He got out. He went back in on January 1st due to complications, um, was found to have a UTI, was nauseous and had a lot of pain. He has been in there ever since. And it was the next day. It was January 2nd that his deputy had to start covering for him. It was two days later, the fourth, that President Biden and his deputy found out that he was in the hospital. But he was never under anesthesia during that since January 1st, he was never under, which is a point so they was, made. Right. So he was available. If if things did go badly somewhere in the world, or things did go bad somewhere in the world, that they could have gotten a hold of him if need be. Prognosis is good, sounds like. John, any change in your opinion about what you think is gonna be the outcome here? I hate to say it this way, but I think it's the absolute truth. It's gonna be really hard to fire somebody who just got diagnosed with cancer. That's why I think he resigns. And I think he can blame the diagnosis. I think he can say, I'm reevaluating my life. I'm going to spend more time with my family while I'm sick. Take some Even time though to, my prognosis is great. Right. It takes some time to, uh, to concentrate on my health. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly the right statement. And you're right. You can't fire somebody. I mean, you can, but you can't, shouldn't fire him but i think conversations are happening in which he now we find a, this yeah we, we find a, a very genteel sort of exit for this but yeah th that the uti the fluid buildup, everything else i mean those are serious complications not not serious enough that they can't handle it at a hospital especially a place like walter reed but that's something that you can't just let go so clearly he had to go to the hospital right if you have thoughts 913-586-7798 we'll wrap today's show next on KMBZ. Wrapping things up here on this Tuesday afternoon here on KMBZ, um, we go back to Jackson, Mississippi for a few minutes um, because of this continual story about, and I forget, it, it, it's a hard one, but people that die for various reasons, next of kin cannot be found, and they are just 
buried. And the, and what seems to happen is they don't really make an effort to get a hold of the family um, to the point that a lot of questions are being asked. Yeah, the very first story that broke on this broke a couple of months back when a mother finally got notification after more than a month that her son had been killed in a car accident with police. And the police said, well, we, we didn't have any identification. We didn't know who he was. We gave him to the coroner. And then it came back to us, and we just buried him in the potter's field after the mother constantly had been asking questions about her son's whereabouts. Then it comes out, not only was this young man buried in an unmarked grave, but that the coroner had found his wallet with the ID in it when the inquest happened. And so the police were lying. They just buried him out there and tried to bury the story. Now, right after that, two more stories came up about other people that they should have been able to identify and didn't who ended up in the same place. Now the questions have led to a survey of that land out behind the jail in, in Jackson, Mississippi, and they have found 215 bodies buried there, sometimes with nothing marking the grave, but a pole sticking out of the ground with a number attached to it. Families of the deceased were left in the dark until last month. For me, it raises the question based on the other case that we talked about, because in the Dexter Wade case, it was a police officer that fatally hit him, mm -hmm. which would lead you to wonder, well, yeah, I get why they didn't want to try to get a hold of the family very much. You don't want to admit fault. It makes me wonder how many of the others were that situation also. Because and their deaths were inconvenient. Right, right. And would be complicated for the police department. I, I hope that's not the case, but given what we know, how could it not be with 215 bodies buried back there and a lousy record of notifying families of what happened and how are they? I mean, what's the record keeping like on right. the incidents that led to these deaths in the first place, even if they have numbers marking the grave and no name on them, what's to say that they have any record at all that they can match that number that's on that grave pole to an incident? Uh, hold on to your stomach here for a second. Cause I'm going to read a couple lines out of the story. The bodies were placed in shadowed graves without embalming, leading to a disturbing stench that attracted scavengers. Oh. The inhumanity of the treatment and calls for a more dignified handling of the deceased are coming. Uh, the families affected were not notified and many still believed their loved ones were missing. Okay. Again, I ask who takes this over now? Yeah, well, I, who, whose I think, fault and who takes this over? Right. Yeah. The first question has got to be who was running this system to begin with? Yeah. One person can't do this. I mean, you need people digging those graves. You need people administering all of this. You need somebody in charge who's who's going to be responsible for the system that put all of those 215 people out there with no grave markers and no identifying marks. And who was doing it and for what possible reason? How many people were involved in this who all went, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Just bury him out behind the jail. It'll be fine. And how many people actually knew? Yeah. I, I mean, this isn't just going to be a police chief. This isn't just going to be a one person thing. You're going to have multiple people involved that knew. But I also wonder how many didn't. I how many know, thought everything was being handled the right way? Yeah, I want to know at what point somebody outside the state of Mississippi gets involved in this. 
Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't going that far. I was thinking, okay, for sure, this is the kind of thing that makes the state come in and take over your police department or but your even, coroner's office or whatever it is. Even that's too easy, though. I mean, yeah. it's Mississippi. They don't have right. the best track record when it comes to things like this. Somebody outside of Mississippi has got to come in and and say, you know what, we're taking over this investigation because you don't, I mean, we don't know. Somebody outside has got to be able to review those records and find out how those people died, where they were found, what the circumstances were, and try to figure out why nobody was able to find out who they were. Okay, so is this where the governor calls in? The governor's a Republican. Okay, so politics might get involved. Is this where Tate Reeves calls the federal government and says, we need an objective something, someone to come in and do this? I don't trust that he would. I, I don't trust I don't that, Tate, that Tate Reeves would do anything like that. I think this is a situation where the federal cops are going to have to come in on their own. And lawsuits are going to have to be filed. Oh, yeah. To get that to happen. So, all right. Uh, it's sto- it's uh, snowing a little bit more here. Winds are picking up here this afternoon, so be careful out on the roads. Dana and Parks will have the latest, and we'll talk to you tomorrow here on KMBZ. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.